Welcome to Fountain of Life Worship Center's podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Today you will hear a message previously recorded from our pastor, youth pastor, or a guest speaker. Join us as we know God, grow in God, and go with God today. Let's jump into the message. that thing over to a Harmon here in a minute. Oregon, we're going to have church. There she goes. If you have your Bibles, if you would go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, verse 12. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. God, I thank you that you sent your Son. But I am so thankful you sent your Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us, to lead us and to guide us. God, I'm so thankful that you endued us with power, not to just sit in our church, but God, to go out and be witnesses into the world. God, I thank you this morning for what we have felt in this place. God, this place, there is such an energy that is in this place. Such an awesome presence of your power in this place. God, it doesn't end here. I believe that you want to fill people this morning with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God, I believe you want to save souls this morning. God, I believe you want to heal and set free this morning. God, I believe you want miracles and signs to follow us believers. So God, we declare it, we decree it today that this house will be full of fire. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. At this time, our kids can be dismissed to go with David. They're going to go back to kids' church, and then uh, their three to fives can go with Miss Shay Shay. Can we give this praise team a, a hand clap this morning? They've done a phenomenal job. I just can't get away this week. I just kept, my mind kept going back to our heritage, our, our, our traditional Pentecostal charismatic roots. I could not get away from that this morning and, and this week. And I, I really, I, I, I intended on, on continuing on with the Holy Spirit and teaching about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But this week is a little different for me. I don't know if this is going to preach or teach, but I think we need to go back and look at some things and see where we are as a church, and not just this church, but as a church as a whole, because I believe we have forgotten some powerful, powerful truths about God's Word and about our Pentecostal movement. And Ian Bounds said this, and I, I put it up there, 
What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Now, I know that says men, but I want to include women. Men and women who God wants to use us. And in recent years, I have looked and done it again. I don't know how this is going to come out. If I'm going to preach, teach, I don't know, but I just think there's some things that we need to know. And I've done a lot of like backstudying and looking at, at the way things used to be, the way things are. And I've looked at a lot of reports and statistics and all that stuff this week. But one report said inside and outside of the Pentecostal movement show that the public practice of speaking in tongues has come under a lot of scrutiny. I can see why a lot of times. I struggle with how you can speak in tongues in church on Sunday and then go cuss out your neighbor on Monday. I may have to go hide. I can understand how that can come under scrutiny when you look at the church as a whole today, how we can come and experience such a mighty move of God on Monday morning and then see the way we act the rest of the week. And the problem is not theology. You see, in our denomination and other Pentecostal movements, the vast majority of pastors and and churches affirm the theological teaching about about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. The the theology is not being uh, questioned. The problem is, is the practice. You see, the practice or the lack of practice. You see, an article in Christianity Today said, a minister was explaining that Fellowship is experiencing, our fellowship, the Pentecostal movement, is experiencing an identity crisis, which ironically is the result, in his opinion, of several positive factors. I struggle with what he says because he looks at it as the Pentecostal realm is kind of diminishing, which is making our numbers grow. There's been a significant number, growth in numbers of people, but the influence of Pentecostalism has faded. Church, I don't want a church full of powerless people. I mean, Jesus shook the world with 12 men. And we've gotten into this mindset that big churches are amazing. And I have nothing against big churches. I think there are some great big churches, but I think there are some lousy big churches. I think we have padded our pews and, and we raised Starbucks to Jesus and we've just made people very comfortable. My job as a pastor is not to make you comfortable. My job every Sunday is to move you from complacency into doing something. You see, our movement... The Pentecostal movement is growing. But the problem is, is the gifts are diminishing. The gifts has declined. 
We're labeling our church as Pentecostalism, but we don't practice it. It's like I said before, if I open up a can of peaches and do not find peaches, the can means nothing. If I call this church a Pentecostal church and we don't walk into a Pentecostal church, it's meaningless. You see, factors have eroded uh, the nature of the Pentecostal churches. A survey a few years ago says Pentecostal pastors revealed that 90% of them teach regularly on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But only 28% provide a, a time for people in their church to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only half of those who attend worship, claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first number about the pastors has probably remained the same, but the other two have probably declined more and more over the last few years. The primary reason why the frequency of speaking in tongues in the public church setting has become limited is because one, we're terrified to run off people. You got pastors that'll say, that's not the time for that. There's been a cultural shift in the church, Happy, in the last 30 years. You see, Sunday morning services back in the day, when I was growing up, we used to say that Sunday morning services were for the believers. And then Sunday night services were for the evangelistic crowd. And what has happened is Sunday night services have declined and more and more people don't attend or in most churches have shut them down. Sunday night church services used to be when everybody would bring their friends. Sunday night services is when you saw like what we used to call tarrying. But there has been a cultural decline which has declined the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is due to the cultural shift of society. These factors, I mean, they have dampened the wood of the church. You see, as pastors, it's so hard to try to figure out and create these spirit-ignited services because you don't want to run people off we don't want to be weird we don't want the crazy lady at the piano <laughs> but that's what we need to see more of I'm tired of hearing Kevin's stories about how Mama Mildred used to shake the hair bows out of her hair I want to see some of you ladies start shaking the hair bows out of your hair Selena, Mama Mildred, be proud of you this morning. But we've had a cultural shift. The scriptures, we just read, there's two types of baptism. John told us, he said, one is you're going to get wet, and one you're going to get hot. <laughs> And the problem is not that our pastors and church leaders have suddenly have a clouded biblical understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many, we've not drifted from that. 
It's just the roots, the public practice. Fire has always been a powerful metaphor in scriptures. Many times the word is used as literal fire. But when it's used symbolic, happy it has such a spiritual meaning to it. Randy, it's a powerful spiritual meaning. When you mention the word fire, sometimes you see fire and it's referred to as God's judgment. I think it's Revelation chapter 1 verse 14. He has eyes blazing like fire. First, and more often though, when we hear about fire in the Bible, it is the power and the presence of our God Almighty. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush at Mount Sinai. And the people at the tabernacle in the wilderness. Powerful moments in the New Testament. Paul describes the return of Christ in blazing fire. Which means he's coming, his literary his presence is coming and his judgment is coming. John the Baptist, he predicted the Messiah. We just read it. He said, I baptize you in water, but there is one who's coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie, but he's going to baptize you in fire. The day of Pentecost, we read it this morning, 120 disciples are in the upper room and the Spirit falls. Tongues of fire descends on them. This was a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. The impartation of God's presence and God's power for them to go out and fulfill the promises and purposes of God. We've heard ourselves. We want to sit in church and compare our spiritual gifts all night long. Well, she spoke in tongues. I guess I need to. If they run, I guess I need to. If they give a word of knowledge, I guess I need to do something here to be more spiritual than they are. We've heard ourselves. And that's why the gift of the Holy Spirit has come under so much scrutiny now. Bunch of crazy holy rollers, idiots. They're crazy. I agree with that sometimes. When are we ever going to take those gifts, that gift of the Holy Spirit that God said that He was going to endue us with power to go? Go. Not stay in our churches and swing from the chandeliers. That is not why God gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost. The physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the first believers, God did that so that they would go out and, and serve their purpose. We need the fire. It's the fire that we need to ignite a revival. Not our man-made theology and our man-made ideas and, and let, let me see who the best preacher is. Whatever happened to revival just falling on a church that we don't need to bring in a guest speaker? This world needs fire. 
This world needs fire. Our country needs fire. Our state needs fire. Our county needs fire. Our towns need fire. Our church needs fire. Our, com- our families need fire. You need fire. The fire of God's presence and power, it's no less important today than it was in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and all the way through. And it's no less available today than it was then. Ed Stetzer, he said that the baptism in the Spirit is a dividing line between passionate devotion and lukewarm church membership. We stand in a long, powerful, and fascinating history of people before us that God used in the gifts of the Spirit. Our Pentecostal movement and later the charismatic movement. I mean, if you, if you have not studied the church of God's deep spiritual roots, go do it. Get the book like a mighty army. I don't need to know all that. Yes, you do, because we're missing it. We're missing it. Some great men and women have left us an amazing heritage and we can't lose it we cannot lose that not only the church of god a little history in 1905 there was a black woman by the name of neely terry she attended a holiness church in los angeles california she traveled that year to go to houston texas to visit her her family And she visited a church by a pastor by the name of William Seymour. Terry invited Seymour to come and preach in Los Angeles at her church. And he got there in February the next year and preaching for four or five weeks, Edward S. Lee began speaking in tongues. The next meeting, Six more people spoke in tongues. You know how that goes. News starts carrying throughout the city. Now you've got white folk, black folk, Hispanic folk being nosy. Curiosity kills the cat. They're curious. And they come to hear what William Seymour has to say. But not only that, they're coming to observe these crazy people speaking in tongues. We know the story. A neighbor near the church said they shouted for three days and three nights consecutively. Easter. We need to cancel service so we can go have our little dignified Easter service. Not these people. There were people coming from everywhere. The next morning, there was no getting nowhere near the house. You couldn't even get close to it. They said that the power of God fell so hard on those people, the whole city began to be stirred. Go fact check me. They shouted until the foundation of the house gave way and the the floors collapsed in that lady's house. And nobody hurt. After the front porch collapses, 
the church now moves to Azusa Street in a building that was once a black Methodist church. Only a few weeks after the first evidence of people speaking in tongues, there are now 300 to 1,500 people who were coming to worship at different, at different times. Baptists, Presbyterians, Quakers, Mennonites. The end of the year, other congregations begin to join this movement and it birthed a Pentecostal movement. Several existing holiness denominations now said, this thing's real, let's adopt this teaching into our doctrine. The Assembly of God was birthed out of the Azusa Street Revival. In the 60s and 70s, some of you may remember, but there was a, a Pentecostal uh, uh, charismatic uh, renewal that came through Pittsburgh area. Roman Catholics and Orthodox churches were going and being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may remember uh, one of the, the, the pastors of the Catholic church in this community at one time. He actually used to preach and say, y'all can come to the box if you want to, or you can just go ask the man. You know why? Because he went to Pittsburgh and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God began to shake his way of believing. I've met other Catholic priests that was that way. Some pastors and priests, they would encourage, they would, they encourage the experience of the gifts. But pockets of people within those churches, they would complain and say, that's not welcome in our church. So what would happen, you would have these people, they'd start having what you call cottage services, house church. And they'd meet up in people's church, in their houses, and they were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were experiencing the gifts of the Holy Ghost. They encouraged prayer meetings. What's that? All Church of God credentialed ministers, we believe and defend the Pentecostal theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. But changes in our culture have affected the actual practice of it in our church services. I mean, how the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, how do we teach that? It's interesting. Again, traditionally, Sunday night services were those services. It was the place where, again, you invited people and the, the, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Sunday nights were often as well attended as Sunday morning services. How times have changed. Again, now many churches, we don't, they don't even meet on Sunday nights anymore. According to a study, the attendance on Sunday night evenings is only about one-sixth of the attendance for Sunday morning worship. A few decades ago, Virtually every church had evangelistic services on Sunday night. After worship and the sermon, things got crazy. The pastor would give that initial uh, call to the altar to invite people to respond to the message. 
And we actually had people get saved on Sunday nights. But that was only the beginning of the service. People got saved. The next part. Now the expression of the the gifts and another altar call for people seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit or simply just who wants more of God. I mean, it was an open-ended and the gifts flowed freely in those services. As a child, you hated those services because these were the prolonged evenings. (laughs) The tarrying services. Because people waited on the Lord to show up in power. Children, we attended those services. And we got sleepy. And we curled up under pews. Or on the pews. And sometimes even on our parents' laps. I can't tell you how many Sunday nights... I fell asleep and woke up Monday morning. And I wasn't drunk in the spirit. They just packed me out when church was over. Does anybody remember those? That was part of my spiritual heritage. That's back when I watched some great men and women do what Edna Klein did. Shout all the way across the front of this church. See people do what Talena did. And tear the piano up over here. It's when I used to watch my mom beat her knuckles off the wood pew in front of her shouting. It's the days that I can remember sitting behind Talena's dad and he'd scare me to death because when the preacher would say something good, he'd go, oh, come on. People can make fun of it all they want, but I long for the old days. We've gotten too busy for God. People say, well, i got to get my kids home and get them in the bed. Let them go to sleep. Listen to me. I watched my father-in-law shout and airplane spin and do everything in an altar till 9 and 10 o'clock and get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go into a hole and work all day in a coal mine. Pastor, my kids has got homework. I did many homework assignments on Sunday night in my seat. And you know what else? While I was writing 2 plus 2, I was hearing things in the background that have stuck with me all my life. Some things that when I was out doing the meanest that I was in, that I could always go back and say, man, i got to quit because I know there's some people on Sunday night praying for me. And I always, always, always remember those services. How I long for the old days. 
when they would come to the altar, they'd gather around them and they'd lay hands on them and you'd have this group of women saying, hang on, and this group saying, hold, let go. The Lord moved and people were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Our perception and our priorities has changed. God has not. We have concluded that church services last too long. If I struggle, I'll hush. I struggle for people to tell me they can't attend three services a week. I struggle with that. Hard. If he's been that good to you, what is three services a week to give to him? Over the last three decades... We don't want Sunday school, we don't want Sunday night, we don't want Wednesday night, just give me an hour of convenience. Many people who attend our churches, again, their perceptions and their priorities have changed. Many parents got up early, long commutes to work, didn't stop them. Sunday evening services, just, we say they don't work no more. They don't work no more because our priorities and our perceptions have changed. God has not. Eighty percent of churchgoers usually attend a single service on a weekend. And out of that eighty percent, that eighty percent only attends on average once a month. Sunday morning is not normally the environment for this kind of preaching and teaching. Sunday morning is not typically the time for people to tarry because we're constantly doing this. The ball game starts in an hour. The crock pot just dinged. Y'all going to get y'all's crock pot saved before me in the next couple weeks. I told y'all, I hate that thing. I look at it. Somebody can go do it right now if they want to. I hate it because we become so consumed with it. My God, it's noon. Listen to me, the longer we go, when we dismiss the Baptists and the Methodists, we'll all be out of the restaurants and y'all have it to yourself. Oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble. If a pastor had an altar call for people to come for extended prayer, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, many would not feel comfortable in our church services on Sunday morning. 
People would be in their church, in their seats, anxious. When is this guy closing this show? I mean, waiting is hard enough for church members, let alone a visitor. Nursery workers, child care workers, Sunday school teachers. Now it really gets awkward because we've stuck them with kids and they have no idea what to do with them for a prolonged period of time. This is the problem pastors face. I want you all to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in a culture that rushes Sunday morning service and avoids Sunday night service, how does the church, how do we, how do we maneuver through this? There has to be an answer. I mean, I can identify the, the fears. I mean, as a pastor, it's a, I mean, I understand. I know my kids. So I can't imagine a teacher having them and me in here trying to have a 40-minute a altar call. New people. And people come in less than 30 years. Feel awkward when gifts are expressed in a church service. And a lot of times pastors... We'll rush the process. Listen to me. If people feel rushed, they're never going to feel comfortable. If they feel, I mean, they're going to feel pressured. They're going to feel frustrated. They're going to feel guilty when they don't have the experience that I'm up here trying to tell them they should have. Well, I must not be doing it right. Well, pastor, why don't you just dismiss people? If you need to leave, you can leave, but those who want to stay can stay. You know what that sets up? Those who stay are more spiritual. Those that leave are less spiritual. And then you got people saying, well, let the less spiritual people leave. It's not a good idea. Well, why don't you just dismiss church, a kid's church? Because if parents get up to go get their kids, they're going out the door. All this is what we face as pastors. How does the Pentecostal charismatic movement survive? Consumer church. Because we're living in a day people are coming to Christ. We're sending missionaries out like never before. Churches are being planted. I mean, worship is alive. It's beautiful. It was this morning. Uh, uh, people are reading. People are doing all this stuff. What now? One pastor says this. Selena, if you'll come one of the piano. I don't have any problem with the theology of our movements. I believe it and I embrace it. I speak in tongues in my private prayers. It is vital 
part of my walk with God. In fact, I do not know what my spiritual life would be without it. But here is the truth. Most of the people who have joined our church aren't from a Pentecostal background. They come for the worship and I hope some good preaching. I talk about the gifts, but it looks like they're confused. I do not know what to do. If I make it more of an emphasis, I'm afraid I will lose them. Our church seems to be doing fine without it anyway. Another pastor. I really want our people to experience the fullness of the Spirit. It is not something that's less important than any other priority in our church, but I can't figure out how to make it fit into our schedule and make it meaningful. I tried changing our midweek service <coughs> excuse me, to be more like Sunday night services. The first few weeks went fairly well and was attended like all of our other events. But after a month, everyone who wanted to be baptized in the Spirit had already come. Families did not show up. We limped along for a few more weeks, and we went back to our classes and small groups. I just cannot see it happening in our church. For many reasons, it would be a disaster. It would be a disaster if, if the Holy Spirit had His way in their church. I have some older men on our board who wonder why we don't go back to the old ways, and I have some young men who don't understand why we should. At this point, I need help. I feel discouraged and, to be honest, a little guilty because I'm not leading our people in an experience that I know is vital for them. Our old fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers would not recognize our churches today. They expected two vibrant services. Sunday morning for preaching and worship and Sunday night. Deliver. I mean, it, I can remember as a child the moves of God that we had in Mill Creek Church of God Sanctuary. As a kid, I knew it was real, but man, it was terrifying at times. I can remember one morning or one night. They come and they said, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to leave the room. And they got all of us kids and took us up in a, into the nursery upstairs. And you know how that, like Mill Creek had that little window upstairs you could look out. So every kid went to the window to see what in the world was going on. You know, from the window of Mill Creek Church of God Nursery was the first time I ever experienced a woman who was possessed by an evil spirit, be set free. Scared me to death. But it's something I'll never forget. I experienced it. I sat up in the top and I watched this woman be delivered. from a de She was demon possessed. I'll never forget sitting in Mill Creek and watching people be healed like that. Denny Farrell telling stories of when he went to Cleveland, the church, he watched a woman's leg grow. Right on stage, it grew. How do we experience that when we're ready to go out the door when we get here? I got to sit down with the castles. These castles, not these castles. But I got to sit down with them a couple weeks ago or last week. And I 
when we were sitting there, a word came up. And we don't hear it much anymore, but intimacy. Where's that wind? God just wants intimate moments with His children. And we're in such a hurry to go do nothing. I mean, I'm in a hurry to go lay on a recliner. I mean, the NASCAR race, you're going to be asleep in the first 10 laps anyway. And you'll wake up at the last crash. I don't think we turn back the clock and go back to what it used to be. And what I mean by that, I don't think God wants to reproduce what He's already done. I think He wants to do something new. And you know, back then, it was swinging from the chandeliers and Bobby, and, and, and there's a place for that. But I think right now, the Pentecostal movement that the church needs is intimacy. I think God's people needs to fall in love with God again. We need something new. We need something that it's relevant. And, and it's possible. I close with this. Jim Sabala, Brooklyn Tabernacle pastor. How long has it been in many of our churches since God did awesome things that we didn't even expect? What stops us today from drawing a line in the sand and setting our hearts toward God in fervent prayer that He will come and revive His work in us as well as in our churches? Why don't we stop rationalizing and justifying the spiritual impotence all around us? Why not rather humble ourselves, seek God with all of our hearts for something from heaven? How many wants a Pentecostal experience? Thanks for listening with us today. We hope that you have been challenged, inspired, or God has changed you somehow or in some way by what you have heard. If you would like to learn more about Fountain of Life Worship Center, find us at our website at folwc.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash folwc, or in person. If you have a prayer request that you would like us to join in praying with you, please head to our prayer page at folwc.com slash prayer and click the image that reads prayer request. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can go to our website, folwc.com, and click Give at the top of the page. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast. Hit subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to keep up with our most recent podcast episode. Have a great day, and God bless you all.